this is the in focus podcast from the hindu hello and welcome to the in focus podcast my name is jayan shriram and i'll be your host for today we turn our attention to foreign policy in this episode and we're going to be looking at the india us relationship specifically keeping the china factor in mind these discussions take on particular significance as a new administration has just taken charge in the us and that means a change in tone and style in the way that they deal with diplomatic relations around the world speaking at his confirmation hearing president joe biden's nominee for secretary of state anthony blinken said that india is a bipartisan success story and made it clear that strategic ties with india will remain strong especially on the indo pacific and there would be continuity from the trump administration in dealing with china's aggressive actions yet while the trump administration maintained a consistently acrimonious relationship with china something that suited india as it was looking for assurances on security there are indications that the biden administration may try something more of a balancing act taking a hard line on some issues and seeking cooperation on others like climate change and iran what could this change in style and the new personnel that the biden administration will soon confirm mean for the three way relationship between india us and china and as we look back on the trump presidency we ask in this podcast what is the legacy it has left on india us relations and how it can be built on i'm joined today by tanvi madan she is a senior fellow in the foreign policy program at the brookings institution and her work focuses on india's relations with china and the united states and india's role in the indo pacific Tanvi Madan thank you so much for joining us on the Hindus in Focus podcast today and for making time for this discussion Thanks Jayant it's good to be on the podcast Um so I thought I'd start with a with a fairly broad question uh, and one that actually uh, many people find intriguing um and just to give us a historical perspective on this um between a democratic and a republican administration over the years which would you say has been better for India You know as you know Jant the the kind of conventional wisdom these days is that republican presidents are better for India uh, but I'll say a few things one that is a very recent impression um right. if you look back at history uh, traditionally democratic presidents were thought of you know obviously president kennedy and uh, the assistance that the US gave during his administration during the 1962 china india war but even otherwise uh, in fact through the reagan administration even the george h w bush administration um the impression was that it was really kind of democratic administrations that were better and republican administrations in fact supported pakistan um but th- this recent impression is is i suspect for a few reasons one the clinton administration was seen as very focused on kind of these global issues like non proliferation uh which india obviously you know had uh problems with in some ways uh but so they i think that you know changed the framing somewhat there was also kind of an impression 
that, um, you know, uh, like the Bush administration, because of their competitive view of China, took a different approach. Um, I will put this slightly differently. I think, you know, this is just like people say so-and-so person is pro-India or pro-Pakistan or pro-China. The thing to look at across administrations historically is whether or not and where India fits into their strategic prism, where the level of importance is. So I'll give you an example. During the Cold War, while there was this impression that only Democrats were good for India, um, if you think about it, President Eisenhower, President Kennedy shared, for example, a very similar view of, of India. That is, that it was a potential geopolitical balance uh, and a democratic contrast to China, and therefore both very different people, very different politics, uh, they had a, they kind of elevated India in their strategies. This is true even more recently, which is why you've seen very different administrations, whether that is, for example, uh, you know, the uh, uh, end of the Clinton administration, the Bush administration, Obama, and then Trump, very different presidents too. Their administrations have continued uh, to move the ball forward. Uh, you haven't seen regression. You might see sometimes the, re- the pace of the relationship will stall, but they moved it forward partly because, and I think significantly because, they see the utility and importance of India. And in an India that is responsive and useful for their own interests. So yes, personalities absolutely matter. Their proclivities matter. Um, but at the end of the day, it's about whether people see a country as useful to their goals, just like India does. I think the one reason why, you know, the things people look at more recently are things like, you know, this concern that a democratic administration, for example, and we'll talk about this, are kind of, you know, less strong on uh, on China. Uh, or, you know, for example, oh, they bring up human rights. Uh, mm. But I'd like to kind of point out on the human rights part that it was actually, for example, during the Bush administration that there were sanctions placed on then Chief Minister Modi, that, for example, it was um, Republican members of Congress who were holding hearings about religious freedom uh, when it came to India. So this kind of plays both ways. And it was the Bush administration, for example, who increased military assistance to Pakistan during the 2000s. So, you know, this idea, it, it's all about people's own interests and goals and where India fits into it. So I think you can see some areas where, for example, you'll see uh, on climate change, which is a major in Indian interest, you need clean energy and financing, yeah. where, you know, the Trump administration was not very good for India. But on China, the Trump administration was very good. Right. So I think that uh, that sets it up really nicely and brings us into our second question. So uh, just a couple of weeks back, the U.S. Uh, declassified one of its primary national security documents. Um, this was the 2018 Indo-Pacific Strategic Framework. And just to kind of paraphrase what it lays out, it kind of lays out the threat that China poses and also the importance of uh, building up India as a kind of a counterweight. Um, so, you know, that kind of sets it out clearly what the Trump administration wanted to do in this region. Do you see a line of continuity with what the Biden administration might attempt in this area? I think you will see uh, continuity in certain ways, but I think you'll see a change in perhaps approach and maybe emphasis. So the reason I say continuity is this framing of India being a um, you know geopolitical counterbalance, an economic alternative, a democratic contrast to China, uh, and that it is therefore in America's interest to support mm-hmm. India's rise, 
this is a um, framing that precedes the Trump administration. It goes back to probably the Bush administration. Some people, you know, show the turn to about 99, 2000, uh, to the end of the Clinton administration. But this framing is been consistent now for quite a while. Uh, it's different whether or not each uh, administration has assessed that India has lived up to those goals that they want for India or that role that they want to see from India. But regardless, this has been the framing. So I think the broad framing you will see continuity in. Um, I think you will also, what, what the indications we've got is that this administration too will uh, will keep to the framing of the Indo-Pacific um, as a kind of a, an integrated region, uh, you know, of the two oceanic, the Pacific Ocean and the Indian Ocean. You know, there was some debate about whether they would revert to Asia Pacific, but it is interesting to keep in mind that this framing of like there not being these very uh, uh, kind of big walls between, say, Southeast Asia and South Asia, those had started to kind of break down even in the bureaucratic mindset here at the end of the Obama administration. So, the, you know, the 2015 Joint Strategic vision of the Asia-Pacific and Indian Ocean regions uh, that the Obama administration, the Modi government signed, was an early indication of this. I think they don't want to, you know, having had a lot of their allies and, and partners also embrace this concept. And after all, it is a concept that came from uh, the region, particularly from Japan. It is not something that the Trump administration came up with. So I think you'll see the Obama administration broadly keep that focus of an integrated region. They have created a position in the National Security Advisor of Counter uh, Coordinator for Indo Pacific, uh, uh, for Indo for the Indo Pacific, and so you know once those things get into be in organizational names, those are things that don't necessarily change. So I think broadly you'll see that you'll see the broad goals of trying to deter China, of trying to ensure rules based order and a favorable balance of power in the Indo Pacific. I think you will see changes in approach. Uh, more in ways that perhaps might affect other countries, not necessarily India. But I think you will see a, a, a Biden administration that does kind of uh, want to engage with allies and partners much more consistently and in advance. Uh, I think you will also see, I, you know, they had the indications from the administration is that they will not unilaterally revoke the tariffs. But I think you will not see unilateral moves like that. Um, but I think you will also see as part of thinking about what the U.S. needs to do in this region, particularly vis-a-vis -vis sending a signal to China, you'll also see much more focus on rebuilding at home. That is strengthening America itself, whether that's right. investments in infrastructure uh, or R&D. Um, but there are other ways that I think you could see one question that people have is while there has been an indication that part of this Indo-Pacific approach will be a competitive approach to China. How competitive? And where will this fit in the priorities of, you know, climate change or global health security, and then working on ensuring a rules-based order in the Indo-Pacific? Right. Yeah. So, you know, the Trump administration had this fairly consistently stormy relationship with China throughout. Um, that owed a lot to Mr. Trump's rhetoric. Um, and, you know, just to the, the continuing trade war, and then after the after the coronavirus, etc., um, there is there is some indication that um, the Biden administration may continue with that trade, that stance on trade. Um, but there is also indication that they will look to work with China on certain areas. Uh, climate change could be one of them. Uh, perhaps also their Iran policy. So, how do you see that equation developing? 
Uh, I think the, the 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 answer is we have to wait and see. You know, they've seen a number of kind of already uh, pieces saying this is what the Biden administration's policy is going to be uh, on China. And I think, you know, we these things evolve over time. So I think the correct thing to do is watch. You watch the personnel, you watch signals, uh, you watch China's reaction, because this will not just be determined by what happens in Washington, but in terms of what Beijing does as well. So I think, you know, the early indications, the early indications so far have been things like, you know, who do you put in these key key uh, jobs. Now, most of the people in what they are called the principal's position, the principal positions, which is, you know, the, the cabinet members, uh, they are not people who've had, say, direct China experience, uh, but people like Anthony Blinken, Secretary of State uh, nominee, you know, has worked on these issues for a number of year, years. The president himself has interacted a fair bit on these issues. Uh, and there's the question is, you know, has uh, and 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 uh, Tony Blinken said in his hearing, in his confirmation hearing, we will deal with the world as it is, not as it was, indicating that there has there has been an understanding that, especially in terms of things like China, that the world has changed since 2016. Um, and even if you look across the Obama administration from where they were in 2009 and 2016, the view had got competitive over time. And so I think you'll see, and you heard this in the confirmation hearings, what was striking, which is that China came up significantly across uh, the hearings of, for the Director of National Intelligence, for the Secretary of Defense, Secretary of State, but also for the Secretary of Treasury, uh, and to some extent for the uh, uh, um, head of the Department of Homeland Security. The first four in particular, when it came up, uh, the the administration, the potential administration officials had a very consistent line uh, that China was a, a competitor and it was perhaps the U.S.'s major strategic, uh, uh, in fact, I think Tony Blinken said it was uh, um, America's kind of most significant uh, state uh, challenge, state-focused um, challenge. And so, you know, you you there is an understanding that this is going to be a competitive relationship. What and and a lot of the personnel, particularly that we know of in the National Security Council, um, and uh, and even in the Department of Defense at that kind of second level, uh, shares this competitive view. The question, of course, will be: is how do you? And this is not a, just a question that the U.S. Uh, struggles with. It is finding this balance with you know on issues that you talk about, which is the reality for every country. This is true of India too. Is that China is a country which is a competitor, a major strategic challenge, an economic challenge, a technological challenge, but at the same, and in some cases, an ideological challenge. But at the same time, is it a country? It is a country with which uh, a country like the U.S. has a lot of direct interaction with, but also needs their buy-in for certain goals, whether that's climate change or other issues. So the question for the U.S. will be, and we will see how this plays out, is. Is there a way to maintain this cooperation, uh, competition, uh, without actually, uh, while actually figuring out a way to work with the Chinese, but without undermining your competitive goals? And that's something we'll have to wait and see, is how do you actually cooperate with competitors? This is something even India works with. After all, India also engages with China continues to engage despite the Chinese having killed 20 Indian soldiers last year. So, you know, this is a challenge that I think every country will figure out a different balance. 
It is something obviously we've seen with the European Union and its investment agreement as well. I think different countries uh, will have um, come out at uh, different spaces, but especially with the U.S., this will have ramifications for for India, because if if there is a Biden administration that says, okay, we will temper certain competition with China because we need their buy-in, uh, then that means that for India, it might not, might think of the U.S. as more and a more uncertain partner on China. Having said that, if they see a Biden administration uh, that says to China, look, you need to cooperate with us on climate change because it is in your interest to do so. We are not going to you know, back down on our other goals, whether those are strategic or technological, because you are uh, saying that you will link your climate change reaction or your pr- promises and commitments to that. And I think second, there has been some learning in the US also uh, that China is not the best at sticking to its commitments. Um, so we will see. I think this is a, a kind of an evolving situation. Uh, it is not a unreasonable concern that countries have. It's not just India, but Japan as well. Senator Romney, in fact, brought this issue up in Tony Blinken's hearing. Um, but I think the, the answer is that we will have to wait and see, both in terms of uh, 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 how this evolves in terms of policies, but also how, what positions various personnel take, key personnel, and the debate amongst them during the course of the administration. So um, some of the key personnel we do know about in the Biden administration, we do know who the national security advisor is going to be, um, the secretary of state and the defense secretary as well. I think for the purposes of this discussion, those are the key figures. Um, We've uh, sort of written about them in the Hindu over the course of these last few weeks, probably done individual profiles, but not really pulled it together. Um, You know, given the identity of these of these people, um, what can we glean about? Uh, what their stance might be toward uh, toward India, toward the relationship between um, India, China, and the U.S. You know, it's um, I think uh, for one, almost all of these individuals are uh, almost all of these ind- individuals are what you'd call kind of internationalists. Uh, that is, they believe um, that the U.S. should play a robust uh, role in the world. Um, that it should be engaged. Uh, uh, and this is something that obviously India wants. India wants to see an engaged U.S. Uh, in the world. Um, you do also another kind of common theme across them uh, is that they have uh, a belief in working with allies and partners and a lot of experience in doing it from very different kind of ways. Um, in the sense that, you know, somebody like Lloyd Austin's done that in a more coalition, like a military coalition sort of way. Uh, and Tony Blinken has done that in a diplomatic, uh, from a diplomatic perspective. So, you know, this is something I think you will see fairly consistently. Um, but I think, you know, while thinking about um, the kind of priors, as they say, of these individuals, it's also important to remember that people's views change over time according to circumstances. And it is important to remember that they will be serving a president who himself has a lot of experience and strong views uh, about uh, foreign policy. And he is probably, you know, has ha- obviously shares these views about the U.S. playing a robust role uh, and of working with allies and partners. And so I think you will see. Um, that, you know, there will be recognition that some things have changed. But they also, almost all of them come in with a network of um, already kind of engagements and relationships with leaders around the world, 
uh, or senior policy makers and that that those kind of things do make a difference and so to give you one example the modi government from their first few years uh, is familiar with this team uh, many in this team um, not all right. uh, including for example tony blinken who in fact was deputy of secretary of state when foreign minister external affairs minister jay shankar was foreign secretary and they in fact helped start that deputy secretary of state foreign secretary dialogue so i think right. you know they come in with certain views and priors but i think they at least the attempt will be uh, that they will build on that and not just you know as blinken said live in in 2016 as opposed to um, the world today right so now that we're looking back on the trump presidency we can sort of turn to the question of whether it was a presidency that was actually good for india i think especially over the past um, a year or maybe more while we've been having this confrontation with china there is this acknowledgement that on the security side at least uh, there was a lot of reassurances from the trump administration to india we did see security agreements signed and also uh, a, f- a fairly big push toward um, the quad grouping um so you know as as we go forward with the biden administration and you know perhaps the stance and priorities toward china might change um do you think india has much to be worried about when it comes to the quad in particular you know um i i don't think in it it's a question of being worried i think you know india will adapt to different mechanisms after all india wasn't all that keen on the quad being revived but then came to embrace it so mm-hmm. i think the more important thing for india will be the general approach now whether that comes in mechanisms like the quad uh, or you know other mechanisms I think one thing you will see and this is the nature a uh, kind of the reality of the world as it exists today that you are likely to see a, col- a, a kind of a continuation of this general idea of issue based coalitions uh that you know alliances will this this administration will want to repair alliances will want to strengthen rep- uh, alliances but also a recognition that there are a lot of partners outside alliances that are crucial to achieve american goals uh, and so you will see these kind of issue based coalitions which india has been on record as saying it actually likes now perhaps the most crucial one developed over the last few years has been the quad and at least um secretary of defense nominee lloyd austin in his submissions to as part of his hearing has said that the us will look forward to working with india in the quadrilateral as well as other uh, multilateral fora and so i see this as meaning you know they will look to see uh, you could see perhaps a lower visibility of the quad which india might not mind for that matter because india thought in some ways the trump administration made the quad too visible uh, but i think you will see uh, in some form that could be i think in the, uh, the, the whether it's building on the quad whether it's keeping the quad is that you will find that the or at least the administration will find that the reason the quad exists is, is this is a coalition of the willing and capable and right. willing meaning to actually work together to uh, you know try to shape the rules based order and ensure the rules based order in the region, uh, region and have the capacity together to do it uh, but you will also i think see them try to bring in other partners and i think this is again something india would approve of as we're recording this you know the uh, quad plus canada have just either finished up or are actually still doing an anti uh, submarine uh, warfare exercise in off guam um uh, called sea dragon 
Uh, and so, you know, you've seen these quad plus uh, kind of engagements. You've seen it in terms of uh, handling COVID. So I think you'll see uh, uh, quite a bit of that, but not just the quad. I think you'll see other, whether those are kind of technology-based coalitions uh, and others. I think this is this kind of coalition approach is probably here to stay. And so I don't think that is something uh, India will have to worry about. The question for India will be, uh, each of these coalitions is going to involve India having to put something on the table. But also, in some ways, each of the countries involved will have to to perhaps compromise in certain ways. And so the question for India is, it is it both ready and willing uh, to do so? Right. And so just my final question, uh, Tanvi, uh, perhaps we can go back to the first part of the last question that I asked. Um, in assessing the Trump presidency now, um, you know, just looking back now, um, what can we say about whether it was it was good or bad for India on the whole? And, you know, does it, will it leave any kind of legacy or like um, like many other things that, uh, Mr. Biden is uh, dismantling. Will those will those policies be easily forgotten and um, you know dismantled? Well, some of the things that uh, Biden administration is dismantling, India actually likes, right? So yeah. the U.S. returning to the Paris Climate Change Agreement or the not uh, leaving the WHO. These are things India wants. Um, so I think you have to see what is being dismantled. I don't think the progress in the relationship with India will be dis- dismantled. I think you've heard. Um, uh, you know, a number of uh, uh, kind of of the officials in their confirmation hearings, but they have written extensively, and these are all public documents. These ha- the writings over the last few years that in- they see India as a crucial partner, whether that's for climate change goals, whether that's for China-related goals, whether that's for economic goals. So I think, or for that matter, in terms of people-to-people ties, if you're thinking of building up uh, economies uh, on both sides. Um, So I think, you know, yes, the Trump administration will leave a legacy in U.S.-India relations. I think, as you indicated earlier, uh, particularly the defense and security space, where, um, you know, there was a lot of progress with a a major assist from China. I think without the two boundary crises, you would not perhaps have seen so much progress. But it is important to remember that Trump administration is when India had to deal with Doklam in 2017, and then obviously the the boundary crisis ongoing since uh, since uh, May 2020, and so you know that's shaped what India has been willing to do in the defense and security space, and I think that will leave a, a major legacy. Uh, I think another thing that you know it's always a counterfactual, but people will wonder about is whether some of the steps, for example, on Kashmir and the kind of dilution of Article 370. Uh, would uh, the did did it factor in as because there was a Trump administration in uh, in um, uh, in the U.S. along with obviously the massive mandate that Prime Minister Modi got in that 2019 election? Did kind of there being a Trump administration versus say a Clinton administration, you know, leave that make sure that there was a window of opportunity because this administration did not you know particular last administration did not particularly bring up these issues. So I think, you know, that's a counterfaction. But I do think uh, this kind of defense and security cooperation, but particularly also U.S. assistance to to India during uh, this China crisis will leave a legacy. But I think uh, what this is why I think what you will find over the next few years, while Biden has to do a lot of things to repair other relationships, the U.S.-India relationship is not going to witness necessarily doesn't need repair. What it needs is some rebalancing. 
because it is not good for a relationship. It is, doesn't make relationships sustainable. If there is only one load-bearing pillar, as my colleague Joshua White puts it, that you don't right. want just one uh, load-bearing pillar in the relationship. Uh, and so the other four pillars, which is defense and security cooperation, just to, to finally say that the other four relationships, uh, four pillars, need some amount of work, uh, which is, you know, the, the kind of economic pillar of the relationship, the global order pillar of the relationship, uh, the people-to-people tie, uh, ties, and even the values ties. That if those don't kind of each one be strengthened, then you, you know, the foundation of the relationship is not as strong or, or as stable uh, as it is uh, when each one is actually progressing. Right. I think that's a great place at which to end. And thank you, Tanvi, for joining us on the InFocus podcast today and explaining these issues in such great detail. You're very welcome, Jan. It's good to be on the podcast. InFocus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and other platforms. Just search for InFocus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.